Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, brought to you today by summersf1.co.uk, making F1 tech easier to understand. I'm your host, Matt Trumpets. Today's episode is called Pickup Sticks, and our guest today is none other than Mr. Matthew Summerfield himself, the hardest working man in tech F1. Summers, great to have you back. How are things? Things are excellent for me, Matt, and I hope they're just as good for you, especially as you have a EPRI in your backyard this weekend. Oh, yes. You know, thanks to your very clever fingers and hands, I was able to wrangle myself some official press accreditation to the event, and I've been busy getting sunburned trying to find out every last thing that's going on down there. But I need to remind everyone, we are an independent podcast supported by you, the listener. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. The show is safe for work. We're keeping it clean so you can play this with the kids in the background or at work. If you want to join the live stream, find Mr. Apex Podcast on YouTube and subscribe. Click the little bell icon when you subscribe and you'll get a notification when we go live. So today we have a bit of a thing going on. Um, we're looking at developments and there have been many developments over the last three weeks. So without any further ado, how about we get right to it? So I think where I'd like to start is with the last race we just had at Silverstone. All of a sudden, I start seeing in the press everywhere that the Ferrari engine is now more powerful than the Mercedes engine. Can this be true? What is going on there? Well, I think we've kind of got to a stage in the, the development program where uh, Ferrari appear to have taken a, a bit of a, an advancement on on Mercedes but I think that's skewed by the way in which that both are representing reliability over performance so we have to factor in the fact that obviously for this year 
that we only have three power units, which is obviously split down into um, three internal combustion engines, uh, three turbos, and three MGUHs, and then two of the other components. Um, and obviously, at some point, some of the other manufacturers are going to take penalties, as we've already seen with Honda, and we're expecting to see with Renault. But for me, it seems that Ferrari are kind of expecting to, t- to take that pain as well at some point, just based on the fact that they've skewed t- more towards performance. Um, so they have to have less reliability over a shorter period of time. So obviously, it gives them a slight offset to Mercedes, who seem to have gone down the route of saying, well, we'll hold back some performance in order that we don't have to take the pain of penalties. Now, obviously, that obviously plays into the, the issue of... Um, when we look at when these penalties will potentially be taken as well, which will be towards the end of the season. Um, and I think perhaps Ferrari are thinking um, that it's not so much of a problem. We have to look at Silverstone and, and Hamilton, for argument's sake, and the way that he pressed his way back through the field. If Ferrari do have to take penalties, and grid penalties is what I'm talking about here, then perhaps it might not be such a bad thing anyway. Um, so perhaps it's worth taking that that pain to get the extra performance in the, the leading part of the championship. So you're suggesting, if I'm understanding you correctly, that Ferrari will uh, take an extra power unit at a strategic location where the kind of work we saw Hamilton do is would be possible for their drivers. Yeah, I, I think that they, they've kind of come to the realization that doing 21 races on three power units is a is a bridge too far if you want full blown performance. Um, and so to to account for that, they're thinking, well, we'll we'll take a pain at some point and take an extra power unit into our allocation. I'm not saying that they can't make the distance. I'm just saying that in the back of their mind, they may be thinking that you know, we're going for performance. We want the performance at the times when we need it. Uh, Certainly at places like Silverstone, where they're running the engine completely flat out. Um, They obviously, like Mercedes, trimmed out for for places like Silverstone. Um, But, you know, you can see that power advantage when you look at the the next best team, Red Bull, who really struggled against uh, Ferrari and Mercedes in in Silverstone. Yeah, and it did seem that Red Bull has suddenly... um... I don't know if you want to get into it right this second, but but it seems that suddenly Red Bull has uh, left the top tier of performance in these in 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 this last race. Is this just something we're going to see with them at racetracks that are like Silverstone? Uh, and and is it just down to the Renault power unit that's not got enough grunt for the aerodynamics they want to run? Yes, I mean Red Bull have for the last couple of seasons had to take the pain of trimming their car in order to um, reduce drag so that they can overcome their power unit deficit to the the bigger two teams and as those teams continue to press on and use more performance to fight one another inevitably you're going to see this gap appear with with uh, Red Bull Um, we're also in a situation where uh, Ferrari uh, and Mercedes seem to have got have extended their gap to Renault, even though they now apparently have the party mode. But the problem with something like a party mode is you're taking performance from the matrix of performance over a long period of time. So, you know, you want to take that extra performance in qualifying, you're going to have to take the pain in the race because you can't have both performance and reliability, you know, that they're kind of interlinked with one another. So I think we're starting to see um, you know the, the the difference between the philosophies um, of the, the the three teams there, but 
clearly there's a there's a difference or a disparity between what is on offer to Ferrari and Mercedes and what is on offer to Red Bull via Renault. Yeah, and I guess uh, that's going to be good news for Sauber, amongst others. But uh, I, I thought I read somewhere, and maybe you can confirm this, that that only the Renault Works team is actually running their new MGUK. Yeah, that's correct. Um, although I believe Stoffel may have taken the new MGUK because he had to take a penalty anyway. Um, I'd have to confirm that for, for definite. Um, I believe it's just Alonso and the two Red Bull drivers. But obviously, if they take new MGUKs, they're already on their second of their allocation and they only get two for the season. So they put another one in the pool, they're, they're taking a penalty for it. All right, then. Um, but I, I had... I thought it was down to some packaging issues. Was I wrong about that? Well, there, there may well be some packaging issues um, in terms of uh, the way in which the Red Bull have actually applied the, the power unit to installation to their car, um, which means then obviously that you know Renault are going to have to keep continue to supply them with the old batch of MGUKs. But to be perfectly honest. This MGUK has been shelved for nearly two years, so I can't really see the type of performance increase that is going to make it a, a must-have on the car. Um, certainly when you consider the fact that Red Bull are already ahead of the Renault works team and the McLaren in any case. So I don't think it's a massive gain to be had from having the new MGUK in, in any respect. So, yeah, um, I think they'll just continue to press on with the old specification. Okay, well then let's let's uh, talk a little bit about the about Mercedes then. So if I understand you correctly, if Mercedes was willing to be as risky as Ferrari, you still think basically those those power units are on par. I would suggest that they're they're very very equal. Yes, um, everything and every Grand Prix brings new developments because even though they may be running the same power unit. Um, at the next Grand Prix. Obviously, we know that Mercedes are running version 2.1, um, was originally scheduled to be running Canada um, as version 2. They had some uh, supply issues. Um, they needed to make changes, so that changed to version 2.1 for France. They continue to use that particular power unit. The the biggest difference between these uh, the characteristics is, well, there's a couple of things. We have different fuels coming on, obviously. So, that could change the development race in terms of you you may have a fuel come on board that that might give a, an advantage to to one team over the other um and i would suggest that perhaps ferrari are in that boat we also have to remember that we're still sort of re- reeling from the oil burning controversy so when these power unit modifications have happened um you know that the manufacturers are still trying to find performance in ways that they can still kind of create power from from oil burning and obviously we see that the ferrari has a lot of vapor coming out the rear of it at every grand prix so you know it's um that that is an area of um development that is sort of had to go backwards before it can come back forwards so it's where that the the particular um engine manufacturer falls in that 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 line um and then lastly we've got um, the energy recovery system i think that's perhaps where Ferrari might have found their biggest gains. We must remember that there's a lot of personnel transfer happened between the likes of Ferrari and Mercedes HPP um, in the last year or so. Um, and I would suggest that more of the those technical personnel have gone from Mercedes to Ferrari. Um, and so in the way in which that 
they have been operating their energy recovery system might be something that Ferrari are really starting to capitalise on now. And it did appear to be that way in Silverstone. They just found a way to to kind of find more electrical energy. Um, and I know there's been this sort of hoo-ha over are Ferrari making more electricity than is possible uh, through their ERS. And obviously the FIA have found that that, 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 that hasn't been the case. Um, and I just think it's a more clever um, coding because that's all it is at the end of the day. It's that harmonious relationship between the turbo MGUH and MGUK and the transfer of energy between those systems. All right. Tell me about what's going on at Mercedes. Clearly, they were, I think they were surprised by the result at Silverstone. I think they were surprised at Ferrari. And frankly, my personal opinion was that if Vettel had had a trouble-free uh, third practice, he could have actually walked walked away with pole. It, it was very, very close. Regardless of that, a week and a half later, suddenly it seems like half of Mercedes management is, uh, well, you know, moving on or moving up or moving over. Yeah, so there's there's a few personal sh- personnel shifts going on, and and it's been something that's been in flux for a while. It's not happening overnight. It's just been announced by the team uh, as this is what is happening now. So they have had safeguards put in place to to move these people around and and out of the system. Um, the people that are actually going to be making way is Aldo Costa for starters. Um, he is the engineering director, um, and he w- he's going into a consultancy role. Um, because being an Italian, being away from home, he wants to spend some more time with his family. Um, John Owen, the chief designer, is going to absorb his duties. Um, and then obviously we've got Mark Ellis, who's the performance director, who's actually retiring, um, but doesn't actually get start his sabbatical until next summer. So his is more of a lo- elongated um, transition, uh, which like Sarah is going to take over some of his duties. But it's a difficult one with Mercedes because they operate with a very different system to the the rest of the other teams. They have very they have a lot of head of design areas. Um, so to me, it's not too much of a problem for Mercedes. They should be able to cope with this sort of thing. They've got obviously James Allison sitting over the top of all of these um, different um, com- compart- uh, elements uh, department. Sorry, um, and. Um, I don't see it as too much of a problem, but it is going to have an effect on the way that everything is managed, obviously, because for argument's sake, I do things very differently to how you would do things, Matt. It's just the nature of the way in which people work. So, yeah, it will have some upsets, but I do think that Mercedes can kind of absorb that that issue. Okay, so it's, it's in other words, you're saying it's sort of a natural evolution of things at Mercedes and not a sign of impending drama or disaster. No, it's just the natural course of, of the way in which that uh, an operation has to change over time. Uh, people come and go. And, and so you have to make uh, amendments to the way in which you're working in order to, to evolve with the, the current situation that you have at hand. Um, but just going back to your point about Silverstone, I think the interesting thing about the way in which Ferrari approached Silverstone is that they wanted to be on par with Mercedes. And I think they threw quite a lot of performance towards that goal um, in terms of the way that they operated their power unit around Silverstone. So that perhaps they've took a bit of a kick in for reliability in that respect. But they also did some interesting things in terms of the way that they were operating their their 
uh, downforce package. So they run a quite low downforce package with a spoon rear wing. Um, and they also had a new floor update. So I do think that there's quite a lot going on with Ferrari. They're, they're working on iterational parts of their design. So they're, they're, they're building every single race upon um, the, the, the design envelope of that car. Whereas Mercedes are taking much larger arcs, for argument's sake, their side pods that they introduced in um, Austria um, was a massive development, um, something that would have been a huge undertaking. And it took a lot of development away from perhaps the smaller areas of the car that Ferrari focused on this season. So they've got two very different philosophies about the way in which that they're approaching this season, I think. So we might see Mercedes, uh, once they get their large curve into place, then work backwards to find smaller gains from the from the newer developments that they've just uh, put on the car? Yeah, everybody works differently when it comes to de- this development uh, game. You know, it, and it depends on, on the way in which you're looking at the car and the envelope of its operation. Obviously, Mercedes felt that the way in which that their side pod design worked was, was hindering them quite significantly and they needed to make that alteration but as i say that would have absorbed quite a lot of r&d in order to resolve the problem and as a consequence of that some of their what i would call iterational designers perhaps had to be shelved in order to to make that change Um, whereas ferrari haven't made huge changes but they've continued to develop all areas of the car we've had new front wings we've had new turning vanes new floor barge boards rear wing etc so diffuser so you know it's um it's, it's just very interesting the way in which we've got two very very different cars that operate at the same sort of performance envelope it's a fascinating um, battle there at the front it is and i'm going to ask does is it just go back to the fundamentally different design characteristics of the two car i mean uh, always ferrari has been characterized as being uh less temperamental uh easier to work with and does it just sort of encourage therefore basically they got a very good design to start with so it makes more sense to be iterational whereas mercedes had a design that was could be either brilliant or catastrophic and therefore, they're looking at bigger pictures and and thinking larger thoughts about how to bring it into that same sort of easy to deal with window that Ferrari seems to have, have placed themselves in. Yeah, as you say, the, the last year's Ferrari and this year's Ferrari are, are, are very easy to work with in terms of setup um, and the way in which that they can perform a, a variety of different circuits. Um, every circuit they go to, they seem to be able to get the best from that particular car. Um, there's no real standout um, circuits for me where they, they've really struggled. Um, whereas Mercedes will go to the uh, for the likes of Monaco or Singapore, etc., where we're talking low-speed uh, corners, and, and they do struggle at those circuits. In fact, Mercedes took a modification to the side pods in Monaco that we've not seen since. They added some vortex generators atop the side pod in order to try to work the airflow much harder and obviously change the envelope in which the car works. So to me, that just highlighted that they had a, a little bit of an issue with the side pods already. And then obviously along came the, the new modification um, in Austria, which again centers around the power unit. You know, it's all of these things tie in together. 
Um, and, and as I say, it's a very interesting developmental arc that we're seeing from from the two teams in terms of the way that they're they're doing things very, very differently. Yeah, it is interesting, and I'm wondering uh, while we're talking about development arcs, I know I know it's fun to sort of point your finger at, at Renault and laugh at at how um, how badly wrong they got at the start, and sort of shake your head at how long they've taken to to catch up. But is that, in your opinion, the only problem that Red Bull currently has? It's the the biggest factor, I would I would say. Uh, they're still struggling in terms of performance, um, which has an impact on their chassis. Because if Red Bull had a Mercedes, and it's easy to say this, but if Red Bull had a Mercedes or a Ferrari power unit in there, they could then alter the way in which their chassis works. They could load more downforce on because they would be able to overcome the drag that inevitably comes with having more downforce. So, you know, they're, they're always having to sacrifice um, chassis performance over power unit performance. So, yeah, in my eyes, it is mainly to do with, with the power unit. Um, but obviously they do have this side issue going on where they have to alter their chassis to, to, to account for that. Another interesting small topic that I've noticed with Red Bull um, comes down to their suspension setup. Um, they started to use a hydraulic setup at the start of the season for the heave damper, much like Mercedes have been doing for several years. And over the last few races, they've been switching out between the hydraulic version and going back to the Belleville Springs um, mounted on that that damper. And I just find that interesting that you know they're, they're having to try to find the small um, detail changes in order to try to get performance from the chassis, um, which again is um, a consequence of trying to chase the leading pair, which clearly have more power from from their power units. Well, I think you did say once that the faster the car goes, the better the car works. And and clearly, if you look at the gaps uh, this weekend, they're limited. But I had thought that Red Bull uh, were the only team to actually keep their DRS open through uh, turns one and two. Or was I mistaken about that? I watched the last 10 laps of the race when Vettel was chasing because he had the DRS pinned through turns one and two um he didn't lift out which is bonkers really when you consider it but it was down to fuel load um i I think primarily because obviously you have a shift then on the pitch attitude of the car um uh, and also the the dynamic ability of it um obviously ericsson had an issue throughout uh the race where he binned it at that corner because he was on drs and apparently hit a bump just before he thought he was closing it with the steering wheel. Um, and unfortunately, instead of pressing it, he didn't. And the thing with when you go through that corner with DRS open, you use a different steering attitude to what you would do or a different steering input to what you would do if you had DRS open or closed. And obviously, he used the DRS closed input and just chucked the car sideways. So, yeah. Um, a difficult one for everybody to try to go through there, and I, I'm pleased to be honest that we've we've got this situation where DRS is being pushed to that that direction, where it, it, it's something that can be a performance parameter that certain teams can use and other teams can't. Yeah, well, it could certainly help make up for a less powerful engine and or a better, more efficient 
let you take advantage of better, more efficient aerodynamics that other teams haven't developed. And uh, you've long been in favor of, and I have too, uh, to allow the team to just use DRS as often as they like or the drivers uh, when when they're on the track. It was always very exciting and qualifying when they did that. Yeah, and I, and I feel that the the reason that we we lost unlimited DRS in qualifying was because of the advantage that um, Red Bull had suddenly learnt to gain. Um, for example, them using DRS wide open through 130R in Suzuka. Um, I think that was the nail in the coffin for unlimited DRS because then it becomes a safety element. Um, but we've kind of come full circle now. Um, it's still a safety element, but they're they're reliant on the fact that the driver will. Um, disengage DRS if he feels that it is a safety safety issue so but yeah my my, my overarching um, want for DRS is to have it as a deployment tool where you have so many presses per, per race and it, then it becomes a strategic tool that can be used to attack and defend um, but I've listened to Charlie Whiting's um, explanations in in some of the presses, and he's dead set against that that style of DRS. So I don't see it being something that we'll see in the future, unfortunately. Well, that's too bad. And speaking of too bad, how about we take a moment and talk about the midfield? Because, uh, well, at least one of last year's darlings seems to suddenly be having not the greatest of seasons. And I thought you might have some insight on that. I assume we're talking about the the India the Indian force here, are we? Yes, yes, indeed. Yes, unfortunately, fourth in the constructors' championship for the last two seasons, and they seem to have taken somewhat of a uh, a stroll back down the pack. Unfortunately, um, they seem to be having problems with this car. Um, what, problems that come from probably budget issues more than anything else. Um, they've always been able to work exceptionally well with the, the small budget that they've got. But when that budget is stretched to the maximum and you don't get your payouts when you expect them um, from, from FOM because other teams veto them, <coughs> Williams, um, then you're going to suffer, unfortunately. And, and that has an impact on development. So that veto by Williams could have effectively set Force India back by six to 12 weeks um, just purely because the, they can't get the funding to, to continue to develop the car in the way in that they need to, to to continue. But I also feel that they might be having some of the issues that we've seen happen previously at the Cologne Tunnel. Um, Toyota's great facility in Cologne, uh, there's two tunnels there, which Force India and McLaren both use. McLaren have used, I think, since about 2012, maybe earlier than that. Um, and Ferrari used to use when they were having problems with correlation in their own tunnel. Um, but everybody that's gone to that facility seems to come up against these same stumbling blocks. They seem to, at some point, make gains, and then all of a sudden, something doesn't seem to, to work. Um, so you have to question if there's perhaps cause and effect. Um, but what I would say is, is that Force India obviously... Um, I expect to make a, a, a decent poke at next season because the, the regulation change again. They always seem to, to make a decent stab at a, a regulation change um, and we're stripping some downforce back. So hopefully we'll see them, them rise again. But I think they'll, they'll struggle for the rest of this season, especially when you're up against the likes of Renault, who've made a big step forward, and obviously Sauber, who 
have uh, have made a leap forward and have uh, a certain young Monegasque driver in one of the seats. Yes, and the deal that they've done with Ferrari, I think for Sauber, has provided them with uh, not only a modern power unit, not using a year-old one this year, but it seems to have brought uh, a whole host of other uh, legal, I would say, resources to the team that they had previously been lacking. And obviously they had the people there to do the things once they had the things to be done with, is how it looks to me. Yeah, I mean, I said as soon as I saw this particular car that I found it technically very interesting um, because of the way in which that they've approached the side pod design because they haven't copied the low-slung side impact support spars that some of the other teams have for this season that Ferrari pioneered in 2017. They've gone about it their own way, but they've gone about it in a very similar way to Ferrari, just leaving the spar in, in, in its um, sort of conventional position. Um, and a lot of the performance this, this since 2017 has been unlocked by the way in which teams are designing their side pods, the leading edge of the floor and the barge boards and the way all of those devices sort of interact with one another. Um, and, and as I say, the, the Sauber has a very particular uh, design that's that's quite interesting and, and jives very well with the the new style Ferrari power unit. But on top of that, their development uh, program has been pretty impressive this year as well. Um, they've obviously sunk a lot of money into into the project. Um, and again, as you say, they've had assistance in terms of the way that they they're getting parts from Ferrari. So now they're running a blown axle which previously they weren't. And that's a part that they could have, in effect, have taken from the Ferrari stable because it comes as part of the uh, the front brakes um, assembly. Um, and, and it's just those small areas where you think that, you know, some smart money has been put into these, these development areas um, to make the, the leap forward. As I say, I'm very impressed with where Sauber have managed to, to pull themselves up to this year. Right, and that's going to be uh, Cedric Vasseur, who was previously at, Renault, right? And Lotus before? Um, he wasn't at Lotus. He moved over to Renault. He previously ran GP2 teams. Um, but yeah, Fred Vassour is um, obviously partly responsible for the success at Sauber. Um, I think some of the some of the, the machinations that have gone on there have happened prior to his arrival. But I think on top of that, he's been able to restructure things that are going on there and improve the way in which things are working. Um, clearly, there's obviously a lot of investment gone on when Lung, Lungbo bought into Sauber. Um, they obviously bought in a lot of investment with them. Um, and, and so, yeah, obviously this uh, Ferrari slash Alfa Romeo deal is quite significant. And Ferrari want to give the tools to Charles Leclerc um, in a way in which that he can then provide the performance out on track to prove the fact that he he will inevitably become a, a Ferrari full-time driver. Um, so, yeah, it only makes sense for them to, to continue with this sort of um, this role. And, you know, the, this opportunity that they have with um, Charles at the moment may obviously spread into another driver um, and they become effectively the, the junior team to Ferrari. And, and as much as that we see Red Bull and Toro Rosso in, in that respect for, for drivers. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Yeah, and their Ferrari cousins are also doing reasonably well, too. Although I think Sauber is making more out of what they have than Haas at the moment because, and you might disagree with me, and that's okay, but it always seems to come back to operational issues for them. Yeah, unfortunately with Haas, I I think we still, we forget that they're such a young team um, and they are going to make mistakes in that respect. Um, They are a very close-knit team as well they don't have the personnel that you would find at Sauber for argument's sake um, and, and they are spread across uh, three different um, areas of development so obviously they've got their US their UK and their Italian bases so um, there's a bit of a spread there um, but yeah Haas have kind of should have delivered more they had such an exceptional start to the season in Australia and they didn't capitalise on it because of a, a of a wheel a wheel nut issue that obviously befell both drivers at that time. But then we've had other instances where they've had um, really good performances and their drivers have have had his, issues themselves. So I think there's been a case for, for for Haas of throwing some of their championship points away, and they should be in a better position than they are. But for me, personally, I feel that Sauber have made, a, a, as you say, a much bigger leap forward than Haas have this year, just purely on the basis of their the development um, that they've thrown at the car. It's good to have money. It's better to have smart money. And that's what seems to be going on at Sauber. We've not really talked about McLaren or Williams. Dare we depress everybody by going there? It, it would be two very depressing um comments wouldn't it unfortunately we're seeing two giants of the sport um descend down the grid and unfortunately williams are are the worst team on the grid at the moment fundamentally their car is broken um they have some major issues going on with that that car um i know myself and yourself might have discussed these in private but um yeah, there's some design flaws with that particular car. I don't see them being able to resolve them very quickly. Um, and I can quite ha- easily see Williams thrown in the towel on this season quite early. 
um, and looking at development for 2019, especially with the regulatory changes that are, are about to, to come on board as well. Okay, so here's a question for you. Um, given the nature of those changes, the way the front wing is changing and the way they're changing the aerodynamics, I remember at the start of these regulations, Williams ran what looked like to me and all my ignorance is a very, very, basically very slippery, fast car that could do very well on fast flowing circuits and was going to just be somewhere mid-pack in the rest. Do you think that the upcoming regulations and, and their success early on uh, in the uh, 2013, 2014 regulations uh, might actually give them a, something to hang their hat on or Williams fans to hang their hat on for next year? Or is it just really, uh, is it really just like that beautiful Victorian house that has just gone to see Miss Havisham's, for lack of a better example? Um, unfortunately, the, the problem that you've got is is that the 2014 regulations and the 2017 regulations are, are drastically different, unfortunately, for, for Williams and, and Williams fans. Um, the 2019 regulations, although they go backwards compared to this year and 2017, they are only a march backwards in terms of the fact that we're, we're making changes to the front wing and the way in which the, the outwash works. Um, and we're widening the rear wing. So we're adding more drag effectively, what is what we're saying to the, the, the car. Um, but the barge boards, which is an area of huge performance at the moment and where a lot of the teams are making performance, um, has only been changed in as much as the height. Um, which won't have a significant effect, if I'm honest. So, yeah, I, I don't see it as a huge march forward for Williams if they decide to build a super slippery car because we're still going to see big downforce numbers on these cars next year, even with the sort of simplified front wing. Um, it's just the way in which the, the, the car will work with those performance parameters. Uh, well, that's, that's too bad. I, I had hoped with the simplification that they might be able to reach back into the file drawer and find something that had actually worked for them and use that as the basis for where they were going. But you're saying that's, that's really not going to be the case. No, uh, and I don't don't fully believe that everything that's wrong with this particular car is is related to aero um i think we williams are struggling to understand multiple facets of the the car it's not just the aerodynamic problems that they're, they're suffering like the ones they did in silverstone i think they've got problems in terms of the way in which the car works mechanically um the way the suspension works the pitch angle um the way that the tires interact with all of this um, yeah, it's just unfortunately, I, I think that this car is a little bit broken. Um, and as I say, I think they'll be throwing more resource at the 2019 car towards the end of this season than they will this car. Um, because I, I think they know what's wrong. It's just that fixing it on it this year is going to be problematic. Yeah. And they do run into, even though they are a big, in everyone's mind, they're like a big top five team, but really, you know, they had a big bubble of money passed through, but they don't have the, um, you know, they don't have the, they don't have the bus patent anymore. A, a lot of those sort of one-off investments have sort of gone away. So in a, in a way, from a cash point of view, they are more resource limited than we're used to thinking of them as being. And it, maybe it's just difficult to, to come to grips with that and figure out how to be smart about how you're going to spend the money that you do have. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the the thing for Williams and what they'll be waiting to hang their hat on is the 2021 regulations, because at that point then we're looking at budget caps, which inevitably means that the big boys who spend the big bucks now can no longer spend the big bucks. I know there's going to end up being a glide path because they're never going to agree on what inevitably has been set as the cost cap right now, because otherwise we'll be laying off staff left, right and centre. Um but what you will see is a shrinking of the uh, of the ability to be able to um, resource what the big teams have. So yeah, I, do, I, do, I think Williams will be looking at 2021 as their their line in the sand where they may be able to to make a big leap forward. Um, I don't see them making a leap into the the the, the, the top four anytime soon, unfortunately. Okay, let's move on to McLaren. Zach Brown finally came out and admitted what everybody has known for about the past seven years, which is that McLaren has lost the shine. The glory is gone. And the rebuilding, when it happens, will be lengthy. And, you know, just looking at it, you, you have, I have the sense at least that this had been a long time coming, sort of this, uh, recognition of the fact that things have changed and as a result, McLaren is going to have to change. But now that they're open about it, do you see them being able to make progress or do you think it's going to be a long time in the wilderness for them? I think that, again, we've talked about budget with both Force India and Williams already. And I think the thing that people seem to be forgetting about is the fact that McLaren's budget has shrunk over the years. So the resources that they once had available to them are now much smaller, um, which means that they have to work more effectively for that small budget. Um, that you know, we've seen that the, the car's sparse of sponsorships, for argument's sake, to have one of the most expensive drivers on their books. Um, you know, the the figures don't kind of add up to to where they actually sit within the the realms of Formula One at the moment, unfortunately. Um, and, and yeah, I do think it's going to be a long process and a long road back for McLaren, unfortunately. Um, and whilst they've made progress this year, they were extremely hindered by taking on board the Renault Power Unit um, for this season purely because from a installation point of view, it's so drastically different from the Honda power unit, um, which obviously we've seen has started to make strides now, uh, which is ironic, obviously, now that they've um, parted companies. Um, but the problem for McLaren, again, is, is that they followed a very similar philosophy for the last few years to Red Bull. And Red Bull um, know the parameters of the power unit that they're operating now since 2014. They know how much cooling they can get on the car. And unfortunately, the McLaren is very similar in terms of the cooling uh, parameters, but it obviously cannot work the power unit in the same way. So they may actually, they're actually giving up performance um, from the power unit because they can't get the best from it. So they may actually be down on power compared to Red Bull and Renault in that respect because they can't operate at the upper limits. Um, if you think about the temperature control uh, of the power unit. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot gone amiss at, at McLaren, unfortunately, from a technical point of view. Um, I do see it being a long road back, um, and there's no easy fix. This car 
is well balanced. They've already mentioned that, but it's just missing downforce. They're, they've got some fundamental issues going on, and we've seen them in the last couple of races using prototype parts to try to understand how they can fix and resolve those problems going into next season. So they've been running a new front wing, uh, new barge boards and floor and diffuser and all, all sorts of uh, front brake ducts, all sorts of things, just to see how the flow re- will react differently with different parts uh, uh, on the car. And we haven't mentioned Renault except by contrast, but it looks like to me that they're doing a fairly good job of managing their new investment. They, they seem to have made some strides with the occasional misstep thrown in there. Yeah, well, uh, the the problem for Renault is is that they bought they bought into a team that had they'd already previously owned. Obviously, they knew it very well. Um, in stone but the problem that they had is is that under the previous ownership um, let's just say that money became an issue um, which obviously meant that the resources started to slide in the wrong direction Um, and now they've had to make changes in order to get those resources put back in place um, which takes time um, and a lot of money Um, and they are starting to make inroads into to getting performance back on the car but the other thing that i've noted uh, when cyril abeatballs talked about these sort of performance areas and even nick chester um is that they have a relative what they class as a relatively young um environment and some of these people haven't seen the sort of downforce loadings that we're used to in this era so you have to go back to sort of 2006 to 2008 to see the, the kind of downforce that we're now seeing again in 2017 and 2018. Um, and obviously these engineers hadn't worked in that phase. So although they can design the parts, they're, they're not used to having the parts that, that can take the load. Um, so they've had some of those issues. Um, and, and one of their other issues is the way in which the, the car reacts um, to mid to high speed corners. Uh, and the way it turns in, I believe they're actually going to have a new front wing concept um, at the next Grand Prix um, in Germany to try and resolve some of these issues. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see where they come out in terms of performance compared to 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 where they've already been the rest of the season. It will be interesting. Uh, I know they're wanting to be best of the rest for starters, but. Uh, they alone among the midfield look like they're hooked up enough to maybe take a step towards that top tier of races. And I'll be very curious to see what they do for next year. Uh, I think that will be a big challenge for them. Yeah, it'd be very interesting, especially with with being then effectively, I know they are the works team, but without Red Bull in the fold, they then become the de facto works team. Nobody to hide behind. They are the lead chargers for Renault. Whereas currently you've got this strange situation where Red Bull are a, a semi-works team in effect because Renault still want them to get good results, um, but they want the publicity that they weren't already getting. So it, it's it's a strange environment that you find them in. Um, and, and for me, um, as I've said in the past, I always saw this Honda route for uh, Red Bull based on the fact that they couldn't get a power unit anywhere else. So it was an inevitability that they would end up in this situation. Hmm. So before we move on to the podium, is there any other business, anything else you want to bring up and any other excitement we should be thinking about and looking at as we head to the next Grand Prix? 
Well, there's one just small technical story that's starting to to bubble up under the surface, and it's to do with wing mirrors again, um, because the FIA have decided that visibility for the drivers is paramount, and a lot of the accidents that are happening at the moment are caused by the fact that the drivers cannot see behind them. Now, who'd have thought that when you put the wing mirrors where they are and you widen the rear wing to the point where you can't see past the rear wing? Um, but there we go. Anyway, so what it looks like is happening is that the FIA are going to produce some technical directives that will have to be instigated by Singapore. So we're going to see new mirror designs across the board, um, which is going to have a quite an interesting impact because a lot of the teams don't use mirrors for mirrors. They use them as aerodynamic devices, um, although that's obviously supposed to be a secondary function. That's not necessarily the case. And what the FIA are going to ask in this, these technical directives is, is that the reflective element of the wing mirror is pushed more outboard, which obviously then has an impact either on having wider, much wider mirrors or mirrors in a more out, outboard position, which, as I say, has an aerodynamic impact. So I, I think over the next few races, we're going to see um, some interesting um, free practice sort of visibility checks and new aero devices being used by the teams for to, to cover this new technical directive. That is a beautiful and fascinating thing for us to be watching out for. But I do have a much more fundamental and basic question, which is every car I've driven that's been built after about 2012 or 2013 has a camera built into it so that I can look forward and see what's directly behind me. Is there a reason given the huge LED screen in, in the steering wheel now, that they've just not gone ahead and gone to a camera-mounted system, which would get rid of any usage of a wing mirror as any kind of aerodynamic device, and would give the driver literally the ability to see directly behind them, which they will never have with any wing mirror, no matter how well-designed it is currently. The, I, I'd love to answer that question, Matt, and, and I've asked the question previously myself. Um I think it's primarily down to a, a, a technology bias. They, they want something that is um, always there, unless it gets knocked off, obviously, which wing mirrors rarely do, unless they vibrate off the car if you're a horse. Um, so I think that's primarily what we're talking about. It, it's something that's a function that's always been there, um, and there's a, an adversity to, to change. Um, and also... That those screens in the center of the steering wheel have so much information on them, so much for the drivers to absorb. That I think by having the rear view as another option, it may just be detrimental to, to the way in which that they operate, the, the actual commands of the car. Um, but that's not saying that there isn't another way of mounting it. Um, we only have to look at the fact that uh, Williams run a butterfly steering wheel and they have their um, LCD display on the on the cockpit dashboard rather than on the steering wheel. So, you know, the, there's always ways around these things. It's just down to the FIA to, to make the changes, I guess. Yeah, well, instead of having an actual wing mirror that's reflective, why not just mount two screens there that show you what's directly behind you on one side and what's directly behind you on the other side? Again, an, 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 another plausible way of dealing with the problem, but... Um, we don't always deal with problems very effectively in Formula One. We 
because it's all very political. Um, just as I expect that these technical directives might get changed based upon certain opinions up and down the paddock on how much it's going to help or hinder their particular campaign going forward. Okay, let's move on to the podium. I do love me a little bit of Carmen. Who for you has missed the apex? Well, if we're talking about teams, then we're clearly talking about Williams because unfortunately their car is not performing to the the best of its capabilities. Um, On a secondary function, I'd also say Williams have missed the apex in terms of um, not selecting Robert Kubica uh, as one of their drivers. Um, just purely down to the fact of how much information he can possibly give them to improve their their car. I'm not saying Sorokin and Lance Stroll aren't performing to the best of their abilities, Um, but I do feel that perhaps having a more mature driver that understands setup in the way that Robert used to uh, may obviously improve what the the problems that they've got down at Williams. Yeah. Uh, For me... I don't know. It, it's a tough one. I mean, we're really say Williams and I'm thinking we should have like a Nader award for, 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 for that because they, but to be fair, although they are absolutely at the bottom, they are performing about where we would have expected them to. I think the team that has missed the apex the most really has to be Haas because they've just left so many points on the table again. And as much as I'm a, a fan and want them to do well. And I love it. You know, like they had the, the one brilliant race result. It just seems like every race, you're just like, Oh man, they really should have had all those extra points. And I just keep on waiting for them to mature as an organization to the point where they can really start being consistent in the way they're going to need to be, uh, to compete, to compete regularly for best of the rest, which I think is going to be the top of their structure. But that's the best they're going to be able to aim for at the moment. Wow. I spent a long time saying that. What? Who, who gets a pony for you? Pony awards. Um, I think I gave it to Red Bull last time. Um, but can, I can, can never really look past Red Bull in yeah. terms of the pony award because they're the ones who always seem to be moaning about everything. Um, they're the ones in the strategy group who um, have to have a moan because something isn't going their way and they want an Aston Martin power unit. Um, uh, because they they haven't got enough horsepower and so on and so forth. So, yeah, unfortunately, I'm going to pop the, the the pony for for Red Bull again. Yes, honoris causa. It it is a thing. They 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 do make themselves a target that way. They are not shy about speaking up repeatedly and working the rafts until they get exactly what it is they wanted. Kevlar sidewall tires. I'm talking about you. <laughs> And your thing. What is your thing? Tell us your thing so we can get out of here. And thanks for sticking with us through the recording. The thing of the start of this season so far for me is the Sauber C37, wielded by Charles Leclerc. Uh, I I think that is an excellent way for us to go out. So, Summers, tell us, where can we find you? What are you up to? I am working at motorsport.com uh, with the legend that is Giorgio Piola, um, utilizing his illustrations and listening to the many and brilliant stories that he has. 
Um, you can find me on summersf1.co.uk, where you can also find your great content, Matt, um, coming directly from uh, the New York Epre pit lane this uh, weekend. So, yeah, they're the, the two best places to find us at the moment. Yeah, I think I've already taken over a thousand photographs, and some of them are actually probably interesting and not just like somebody's knee. Um, I... As for me, I'm at MattPT55 on the internets, and by the time you hear this, probably I will be mostly done with my EPRI coverage, but do check it out. It'll be on Summer's site. It'll be on Twitter and Instagram, at MattPT55. And remember, chicks dig heels, wounds cause scars, and glory is a fungible concept under certain philosophical precepts. This has been Missed Apex Podcast. I feel like my head's about to fall off. <laughs> Did you notice we didn't talk about tires? I know. I know we didn't <laughs> talk about tires, but you know, I, I did talk about asphalt with uh, yes. Rosenquist. I asked him because the, um, I, and you, you probably, I don't know, you saw the pictures I sent yesterday, but you mm-hmm. saw how different those surfaces were on the track. And I asked him, he's like, oh yeah, we can definitely feel that. Mm. No. I'm not surprised. No. No, it, yeah. w- it w- would have a different effect. I would imagine it has a different um, frequency. Mm-hmm. Well, now, I, we I... feel that when we change tarmacs, when, we, when we're driving down a road, for argument's sake, I can feel a frequency change. Yeah, sorry, I'm typing to Stevens. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact... You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.